Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now, we're live on the web. In this morning, each of you received an envelope. Looks like this. If you want to go ahead and take that envelope out, you can open it up, and we've got a little present for you there inside. You notice inside you've got what are they? M and M's. Everyone get their M and M's out. You got ten M and M's actually, to be exact. Not a not a full dozen, but about about ten of them should be in there. And uh, how many how many do you actually have left? Do some of you actually just have like one or two left? You you ate you ate it all during the worship. Uh, you know, like, oh, that's a good worship. Yeah, that's bomb. I like this. Um, should have Ted. If you need more, don't be embarrassed. I've asked our hospitality team and Laura, they'll be coming around. If you need M&Ms, hold up your hand. They'll, they'll pass them out. Okay. But make sure you have 10 M&Ms and you can go ahead and pour those out in your hand. Would you pour them all out there? You got them all in your hand. And uh, if you're at home or you're following online, welcome to you guys. Uh, you can, we want you to follow along. So go ahead and raid your, you know, your kids leftover Halloween candy or whatever. Skittles are fine, but you've got this handful of M&M's, and I want to invite you to think of these M&M's this morning as your income, okay? I'm going to put it here in the glass. This is me. Here's my income, right? My big pastor's income. Um, We are in the midst of a series on financial margin, and last week I began with a very unimpressive kind of obvious truth, and that is everybody here lives on a percentage of our income. That is, each of us, when we get our salary or our paycheck or allowance or whatever it is, whatever comes in, we automatically spend or consume a certain portion of it, right? So if those 10 M&Ms right now in your hand represented 100% of your income, how would they be consumed in your life, all right? As soon as they come into your hands, for instance, most of us, how many of you have a place to live? Raise your hand if you have a place to live. Okay, that, uh, good. This is a good thing. This is a prosperous crowd. Um, and that, per, that, that takes a certain percentage of your income. Think about your rent, your mortgage payment or payments. Maybe you've got double mortgage, your maintenance fees if you've got a condo or townhouse. What percent of your income, those 10, would you say goes to where you live? Shelter. How many would you think it goes in there actually? Anyone want to take a guess? How many M&Ms? Someone says nine. <laughs> You live in large. That's that's good. Um, Percentage-wise, you should probably pop one, two, probably three or four M&Ms into your mouth. Go ahead and you can eat those right now if you want. Three or four just to start with. little sugar rush gets you going. Uh, maybe you live at home. You don't spend anything. If that's you, just spit those out into your neighbor's hand. You know, you're like, no, I'm saving them. Housing gets a percent from all of us. Basic need, just like food. In fact, what percent do you estimate you spend on food every week? What? How many of these would you say, right? Think about your daily habits. Maybe you trace your cash flow, $5 latte to start the day, $4 breakfast sandwich, fruit if you're healthy, right? How many of you eat out once a week or once a day, right? Maybe breakfast on the run, lunch with coworkers, dinner once or twice a week. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you cook. That's great. But what percent on groceries every week? Do you know what that percentage would be? You'd be surprised between eating out and, uh, and buying food to prepare. It can actually be 15 to 25% of our annual income. So, so drop one or two uh, more M&Ms in there. And, and I'm just going to, by the way, keep pouring mine in the vase. Otherwise, I will be spinning by the fourth service we get to. Um, let's just stay basic here. Basic needs to start with. So we've got shelter, food. How many do you have left? Four or five. Okay, now let's go clothing, all right? Great to see everyone wearing pants this morning. Awesome. Great, great stuff. Thank you for that. Uh, clothing. We are casual church. We're not that casual. But clothing gets a percentage from all of us. How many M&Ms would that be for you? This is where, like, my wife starts to blush. Yes, that includes shoes, sweetheart. Uh, 
You'll actually be surprised. You close hounds may spend 15 to 20% on sales, but it's really about a lifestyle that's fashionable. You don't have to, you know, shop at, you know, Neiman Marcus or needless markups, as I like to say, uh, to, to spend a good portion of your income on this. I've got friends who shop at the Salvation Army. You know, they're like, like, you know, vintage, you know, vintage shirts. And, uh, you know, $51 t-shirts is still the same as a $50 pair of jeans. So, so another one or two M&Ms would go to clothes or fashion, okay? I saw Pastor Glenn earlier. He's got these funky, like, Mark Echo sneakers on. He got, and I was like, where'd you get? He's like, Marty Shoe Outlet, man. Three for the cost of two. And I was like, I think they got one over on you. You need to spend some more M&Ms, actually, there, Glenn. Um, but you should have maybe three or four M&Ms left at this point in your hand. Most likely closer to three or four since we live in the Northeast. Housing is ridiculous. Now, I'm guessing many of you have a car or a vehicle, okay? Maybe you ride a bike. That's cool. Won't be so cool in about a month. Um, what's your payment on that? Your, your car, your transportation, your lease, your leases, or gas costs if you commute? What's your train, your subway ticket, goodbye to another, you know, there goes the blue M&M. And you're left maybe, if you're, if you're, if you're frugal, with, with, with two or three, right? Two or three every month. And those last two are going to kind of go to different things for different people, right? I mean, we have those basic needs in common, but what comes next is we spend on our hobbies or our interests. So maybe you're a sports fan, right? And, and, and you got you got giant tickets, go big blue, or, or or Jets, you know, Jets. Anyone here? Jets, Pittsburgh today. Uh, you know, go green, or, or I should say, goodbye green for the cost of those tickets. Uh, or maybe you like to travel. How many of you take one or two trips a year? You're thinking about going skiing or sightseeing or Disney. So one more for Mickey there, you know, or the trip to Vail. And then that one we're left with here, that one we're left, you know, on a related note. Some of us have debts that we are servicing, kind of paying off. So maybe you got a couple credit card balances. And some of you are like, dude, don't call them debts. I have balances. All right? They're not debts. And you make the minimum monthly payment on your balance or your school loan or your education loans or whatever. And, uh, and that's another M&M easy. And, and, and if you have one left, I mean, that's easy enough to go. Think about disposable income. I mean, you know. Bon Jovi concert, whatever it is you do, uh, CDs, you know, movies, whatever. Last one and melts in your mouth, not in your hands, right? It's funny how quickly it goes, isn't it? I mean, many of us, if we're like the average American, we tend to consume the majority of what we bring in. And that's why so many of us are stretched so thin financially and actually walk around with all this pressure and stress because our outgoing expenses seem to always outpace our incoming surplus. And money is tight. Or we take on debt. We try to save, but it's too hard to make any headway because we know the, the rate at which we're consuming isn't really sustainable, but we feel powerless to do anything about it. I mean, half the time, we don't even know where it all goes. And when margin disappears, we assume it's mainly a matter of the M&Ms. I ain't got enough money. If I just made a little bit more, if this, this jar was a little bit fuller, then everything would be okay. But the truth is, we discovered last week, having financial margin is actually not a matter of money, but of lifestyle. This lifestyle of consumption that's about feeding our appetites and blurring the lines between needs and wants, right? We said food is a basic need. A spiced pumpkin latte, maybe not so much. Transportation, a need for most of us. But a Beamer with a disc changer, it's not the only option. Though it may feel like it is, right? From watching the ads or looking over the neighbor's fence to see what they're driving. Rest is a need. I mean, we've learned that in this margin series. Everyone needs a break from their work, downtime. 
vacation, rest to be recreated. But that cruise to Cancun, which is going to put you in debt in the new year, may not be the antidote. In fact, the vacation that you can't afford will eventually add to your restlessness. The truth is financial margin is not a question of money, but of lifestyle. There's so many folks I know who are making incredible income, six digits, things I can't even hope to make. But, but, but if anyone knew what you earned and the fact that you walk around feeling so strapped, a lot of people honestly would just like laugh. They, they like think you're a big joke because they'd be like, are you kidding me? You feel pressure. If I had that kind of money, man, I would be on easy street. I'd be throwing, you should be like throwing block parties, but you can't. Because you can barely keep up with the basics each month because although you've got a, got a big income, even more goes out. That is, as your salary goes up and to the right, as you've advanced in life, so has your consumption. And when that lifestyle keeps pace, or in some case, outpaces your income, guess what happens? Margin evaporates and stress levels skyrocket because your level of spending is just unsustainable. It's hard to scale back. To be content with last year's clothes when you're used to wearing next fall's fashion, margin shrinks and the pressure builds. Because your income doesn't go up into the right forever, does it? I mean, emergencies happen. Jobs do get scaled back. Unexpected expenses hit. The economy takes a downturn. And when that day comes, what your income kind of actually flattens out or decreases, but your lifestyle keeps on the uptick, something breaks. Because we have no margin, no buffers, on nothing left over. It's all been consumed. And then we're consumed. The slightest curveball in your life makes the whole thing collapse. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. An unexpected illness brings hardship. Or a broken water heater. It not only floods your home, but it just sinks your financial boat. But if you live with margin, with extra room between your income and your expenses, something incredible happens. You actually have room to breathe. If, you're, if your refrigerator breaks down, you don't. Or if your car needs new tires, you simply go out and get them and pay cash. As Richard Swenson puts it, without margin, life kind of struggles and staggers and stumbles. But when margin is present, life flows and flowing is a lot more enjoyable than staggering. Margin is not about needing more money. It's about needing less. Breaking that acquisitive appetite we all have to eat all the M&Ms. Well, that is easier said than done, is it not? (laughs) I want to challenge you right now with your remaining M&M. Each of you should have at least one. Do you have at least one left? Not to eat this during the rest of our time together. See how, e- see how easy or challenging this is for you. Who has one M&M left? Hold it up. I want everyone to have at least one left in their hand for the remainder of the morning, okay? It's not going to melt. We like turn the AC up here, so it's not going to melt in your hand. But if you need an extra, raise your hand. Our hospitality team will give you one. Last week, we saw how natural it is to live with this sense of scarcity that actually makes us want to oh, consume all we have. And we trace that back to this, this source of material discontent all the way back to the Israelites, God's people, in Exodus 16, where they were in the desert and they complained. And they said, we would actually rather be slaves in Egypt where they had meat to eat than live free and subsist on less and go on a diet. And it was in that desert that God taught his people this basic primal lesson about material margin. If you recall, he said, actually, I'm going to provide for your needs. And he sent them. Does anyone remember what he sent them? What it was called? Nana, right? Frosted flakes. <laughs> That appeared on the ground in the morning and amazingly melted away by noon. So God was like, I'm going to train you guys. I'm going to actually teach you portion control. This was long before Jenny Craig got into the act, right? And an incredible thing happened because when the Israelites began looking to God every morning and just following his instructions to collect only what was needed, not what they wanted, 
but only what was needed. They were blessed with margin. Just enough. Look at the verse. He who needed a little, he had enough. Or she who needed more, she had enough too. There was neither poverty nor wild excess, but there was just enough with just a little bit extra left over for the Sabbath. For the day when God's people rest from their work. And in that we saw this basic biblical mandate for, for savings. We are actually, actually to save what God brings into our lives for the day we no longer work. Because that day will come. Whether it's voluntary, retirement, or involuntary, disability, downsizing, your fire. If you haven't consumed everything you've gathered, when that day comes, you won't work. You actually will have enough. You will rest easy. You'll enjoy Sabbath rest from your labor because you'll have extra. The kind of margin that brings peace of mind. And you'll rest easier when you have a buffer financial zone. So that's the foundation, right? God gave his people in the beginning of his word to train them in a lifestyle of material margin. It started with breaking this acquisitive appetite, actually teaching them to live on less than they gathered, retrain it. It involved portion control, distinguish between actually what was needs, what was actually wants. It involved trusting God to give us enough and saving extra for the future. And that's the most basic principle for cultivating financial margin in your life. If you don't have any, it is a change in attitude. Instead of compulsively consuming everything for yourself, we adopt a new mindset that says, actually, everything I have comes from God. He's actually the owner. I'm actually the servant or steward or trustee. His role is ownership. My role is stewardship. That's actually the essence of stewardship, folks. Adopting this mindset that actually everything we have, God owns it all. Including our finances and orienting that our, our reality around that. That is, according to the Bible, nothing that we own do we actually truly possess. Everything you have is actually on loan from God. <laughs> Everything. From your salaries to your homes, your cars, your daily meals, your pocket cash that you got. All of that is on loan to you from God. You see this declaration of God's ownership plastered all throughout Scripture. If you look at Psalms, Psalm 24 actually says, The earth is the Lord's and what? Let's read it. Everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Everything is God's. comes from Him. In Job 41, God actually declares, says, everything under heaven belongs to me. That's fairly inclusive. <laughs> in Haggai 2.8, God actually, this is an amazing one, he actually declares an issue, says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Actually, everything, wealth, affluence, everything, that is all mine. From the sparrows all the way up to the king's crown, that is from me. Mine ownership and it bible really presents this very strong rebuke to any western notions we have of like ownership or possessions and because the, the biblical reality is that god is actually the owner of everything we have and that includes our daily bread our spending cash our cars or stuff he even lays claim to ourselves we're told that as followers of jesus who, who jesus who sacrificed his life on the cross as payment to that language payment for our sins paul actually says we are not our own because you were bought at a price, he says in 1 Corinthians. Even you, God owns it all. Even your life itself. Now, if you really let the reality of this truth sink in, that everything I have comes from God, right? I don't possess it. This is on loan to me. You begin to look at things differently. Because that paycheck you received on Friday, God says, oh, you know, that's mine, right? Oh, yes, right. The silver is mine. The gold is, is yours. My, my income is yours. But God says, here's the deal. Here's the deal. All this is mine. Here's the deal. 
I entrust it to you. Some of it. So when you get paid, in a very real way, God is literally trusting you with some of his money. He's the master, it's his, but you are his steward. So, so he's, he's like, here's $1,000 or 10000 or 100000 of mine, whatever your scale is. I am giving it to you and I trust you. And it is a gift from me to you to provide for you, to provide for your family. But here's the deal. It's also an invitation because I'm asking you to actually invest it. And join me in the kingdom work that I'm doing on this earth. In other words, the moment God entrusts any of us with money or M&Ms or material wealth, he's saying, I want you to be my M&M man, my money manager. And this is where the disconnect happens for most of us. Because as Americans, we assume any material blessing that, that is brought into our lives is for our immediate consumption. I mean, this is me. Look what I got. Ten M&Ms this morning. Thank you, Tim. Love liquid. <laughs> I'm going to eat them all. It's like it's totally at our discretion and totally for our pleasure. Tell me, I mean, what happens if you walked in tomorrow and your boss said, I don't know, it's an incredible, incredible uptick uh, this past fall. We're giving you a $10,000 bonus tomorrow. Cash, I'm just giving it to you. Where does your mind quickly go? Oh, yes. Well, I, I got a few things lined up already. I was looking at a thing at Pottery Barn. I was looking at, I can upgrade to this. You, can, you start thinking about all the things that you can upgrade to. It, it, it doesn't even occur to us that, may, why, God, why in the world would you actually be giving me more than, than I need at this moment? Clearly, it's for me. <laughs> now, I wonder if there's anyone in this room who doesn't have M&Ms. Who, who do, we don't think that way at all, ever. And, uh, and that is hard. And, and that's the moment at which we, some of us kind of challenge God's ownership. Because right now, some of you might even be saying, well, hold on a minute. I mean, this is fine, Tim, to acknowledge God and all. That's great. But at the end of the day, I have what I have because of hard work. I punched the clock. <laughs> I earned the promotions. I went to school. I put the hours into training. My business savvy is what got me what I have. I earned it. Oh, really? That's actually how the Israelites began to think. In Deuteronomy 8, 17, God actually warned them. He said, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to actually produce wealth. In other words, you may think that what you have is a result of your own smarts or your efforts, but who gave you those abilities in the first place? Who actually blessed you with that intellect or talent or actually the strength to do what you do? If you're fortunate enough to be healthy and productive, you own your own business, whatever, is that something you sustain? God's actually reminding his people here that everything we have, including everything we've worked so hard to acquire through schooling and work and training and overtime, that's actually a still a gift to us from him. He's the giver of our talents, our intellect, our skill, our physical strength, our mental abilities. Question is, do you really believe that? Do you actually have the sense that when you are handed your income, your, your 10 M&Ms every week, I'm going to take my... It's 12. I'm going to take, here's my 10. It's literally like God saying to you here, this is from me to you. And I'm giving it to you as a gift. And I trust you. But you're not going to squeeze them. They're not going to melt. You're not going to eat every one. See, in the bang and clatter of life, especially in a consumer culture like ours, we tend to forget this. And that is why God literally gave the tithe as a gift to the Israelites just as he gave the gift of the Sabbath to retrain our thinking. I introduced you to this ancient practice last week. And if you remember what tithe means, what does that word mean? Literally, tithe equals a tenth. In other words, here are my ten. 
Leviticus 27.30 said this, a tithe, a tenth, one, of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees or M&Ms from Mars, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. In other words, God says, everything that you've got in your hand, these are all a gift from me to you, and I happily give them to you to provide for your needs, but I know something, you have a sweet tooth. I know something about you guys. You've got a sweet tooth, an appetite that naturally wants to consume every single one for yourself, but here's the deal. That's not the path to life. Giving is the path to life. I, your father, am a giver. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. That's his essence, open hands. And I give you your daily bread, and I have given my son, my only son, to die for you. And my child, I want you to be like me, like your father. A giver too, not just a consumer. So here's what I want you to do. I want to retrain your appetite, and I want to train you to do something before you, un- you, 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 you dump the entire bag in your mouth. Before you naturally begin taking care of your needs and wants, I want you to first, before anything else happens, give me a tenth of what I poured into your life, whether grain or fruit or M&Ms, whatever represents your income, as a way of reorienting your priorities when it comes to money. And when you do that, you are declaring the foundational truth with your heart that actually everything I have, this is a gift from my father. And I'm actually just returning it back to him, a portion, a percentage of it, 10% to be exact, as a way of reestablishing he is the owner and curbing my consumptive appetite because I'm more than a consumer. I bet you can't eat just one. You'll gobble the whole handful, all 10, if you let yourself go. So the Israelites tithe. They gave first 10% of their income to the temple, the Jewish church, to pay the priests. And you realize God was actually training them to live not on 100, not on 110, but at what? 90%. I'm teaching you to live with mandated margin. They were not to exceed their limits, but to actually live with less, to limit their load. Why? Because money, some of you guys know this, is a wonderful servant, but it makes a brutal master, doesn't it? When we consume so we can own more stuff, fill our jar, our stuff finally has a way of owning us. So the Israelites gave the first 10% of their income, their choice M&M, back to God first to establish his ownership and train their heart via their pocketbook. That's what the tithe was really about. It's important to note something here. The Israelites didn't give just any old 10%. They gave a certain M&M. Which one, you know? The first one, the first fruits. Now look at the M&Ms in your hand. Which one right now? I know some of you are like the green one. I'm saving the green for myself. Which one do you want the most, right? Every time I get this, I was kind of like the green ones. Weren't they like said to be like aphrodisiacs or something? I heard this like, I think it was a marketing ploy, most likely. But which one do you love the most? Because some of them might be chipped or some of them might be melted, but you're like, oh, this one I'm going to save for later, right? That's the one that God said, that's the one I want. The first fruits. If you skip over to Proverbs 3, 9, you'll see what I'm talking about. God actually instructs his people this way. He says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. See, part of the Old Testament concept of tithing was this principle of first fruits giving. Now, I realize most of us aren't farmers, but these references like to grain or fruit or crops, they simply meant that God's people would give back the first, the, the choice part of their income to God before anyone else got a cut. And that meant the first and best of the wheat they harvested, or they gave the, the first and best of the wool that they sheared, or the best of the, the pears or grapes that they gathered. Everything was collected. It was counted. And then the first, the best, was taken to the temple and given to God. The temple actually had a storehouse, a warehouse room, where the people brought all their crops, produce, grain, and such. And some of that went to the priest to help, to help you know, who led the worship. And some of it went to help the poor. The widow, the orphan, the destitute, because God's like, this actually isn't all for you. Part of this is for people who don't have anything, and I'm going to use you 
to make those resources available. That's the heart of first fruits giving. It's a way of saying, I believe in my heart, I have a heart of hearts that God owns everything and I'm his money manager. And he wants me to invest actually in his kingdom and help the people around me who don't have anything. And see, if you believe that all that you have is God's to begin with, then you have actually no problem. You're right, right now, some of you have a problem with this, some of you don't. It's telling right now, it's very, very revealing. <laughs> some of you are like, I have no problem with that. I, everything I have is grace. This is it. So practically speaking, if you earn $30,000 a year and you believe that it's God who has literally enabled you to do that, then actually giving back one, two, three, 3,000 is no stretch at all. Before Uncle Sam gets his cut, and that extends proportionally. If God gave you the ability to earn 300000 then actually giving back thirty to the storehouse is just natural. See, where the word tithe stresses amount, the giving of first fruits emphasizes your attitude. Do you begrudgingly return to God 10% as if it's like a hardship? Like, oh, man, look, I only got one in there. I can't afford it. Everything's his. Why wouldn't I give back anyway? I mean, that, that's... This is a way, folks, of prioritizing God's in your finances and actually inviting his blessing into this area of your life that is one of the most closed off in every one of our lives. I know this. I close this off. First fruits giving. It's pervasive all in scripture. If you go back in Genesis 4, I was looking into this. We are told that uh, the story of Cain and Abel, remember those two brothers? Uh, they both brought offerings before God with dramatically different outcomes. Take a look at what it says. It says, now Abel kept flocks. And Cain worked the soil. So one guy's like a, a rancher, the other guy's, you know, a green thumb gardener. In the course of time, though, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. So he gave some back to God. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Now, that, now the text, you notice, doesn't tell us exactly why God received Abel's offering with favor, but rejected Cain's. But you see a little hint here? Do you notice the words about Cain's approach in the what? Course of time. That is, once he got around to it, he remembered to offer a little something back. Oh, yeah, sorry. No, God, I mean, I love you too, right? You don't sense there's any urgency or that it was a priority for Cain to immediately bring first fruits on. On the other hand, it says Abel brought fat portions from some of the what? The firstborn of his flock. Those without blemish, without anything. In contrast to his brother Abel, Abel goes, I'll, actually, all I've got is from the hand of God, so I'm going to give back to him the prime cut. The most healthy living firstborn sheep in my flock before anybody else touches it. That's going right back to God because that's all from him. And we're told God honored Abel for that first fruit offering. And the point is this, folks. God wants our first fruits, not our leftovers. See, when we prioritize the tithe and give our first fruits, it's a way of saying, God, you take number one priority in every area of my life, including my finances. You're not an afterthought. I recognize your ownership over everything, and I invite you into my checkbook too. In contrast to keeping my money kind of a private issue, a personal matter in which God maybe doesn't really have a role, and actually make it a priority, open book, you get the first piece. That's what I loved about our opening video. I thought that was, that was so perfect, right? God's pie it shows this guy opening up God's pie here. And he doesn't even realize it's God's pie. And he starts slicing it, right? Cutting generous portions for all the expenses in his life, right? His home, his cars, his clothes, his credit cards. So he starts serving them up, right? I love that the credit card guy is like, give me whipped cream too, you know? His education gets a few little crumbs. And when he gets to God... He actually has none left over. There's nothing. 
because he consumed everything. And then one of them looks over. I kind of think it's that German mechanic there. And he goes, dude, he brought the pie. <laughs> That's why you always serve God first. That's why you always give him the first piece as a way of acknowledging his ownership and honoring with the best. See, there are going to be plenty of things in your life that get their fair cut, but it's just a question of whether you prioritize them or God first. 10% of your gross income, not your net, not what's left over after Uncle Sam got a bite and you paid your bills and you paid off Citibank and MasterCard and your 10% of your gross income. Return it to me. Not because I need your money, but because I want your heart. See, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when we tithe, we train our heart to literally worship God first, not as an afterthought, not as a, oh, 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 bad form. This is not good. Yeah. Me? How about me? (laughs) Now, confession time. I don't know how you're hearing this at this moment. But my guess is that some of you are inwardly rolling your eyes, if you aren't already, going uh, kind of in the back, I see you. Uh, <laughs> and, and you're like, oh, oh, sure, okay. Isn't this convenient? Well, of course the preacher's going to encourage us to tithe. I mean, that's how they pay the electrical bill in this joint. That's what a lot of folks think tithing is. They kind of think like it's this religious tax, right? That's how a church generates its income. Growing up, I thought it was a tax. I remember when I first was taught tithing, I got an allowance from my dad. Fifth grade, gave me $1. And I was like, awesome, I'm going to be a cool, hard, cash car kind of guy. And I got a Velcro wallet. And when my dad gave me my allowance, man, it was like the disappointment of my life. Because he didn't give me a bill. Guess what he gave me? Ten dimes. Ten dimes on Saturday night. And he's like, bring those tomorrow. And I was like, it's not going to be my Velcro wallet. And he's like, here, take this little change purse. And we... <laughs> Sucks. <laughs> we go to church... And we pull that parking line and go, so have you decided how much you're going to give this morning? I was like, what? I knew it. My brother was like, sucka. <laughs> Older brother. And I remember in that, and it was like, this is, my brother's like, this is for the offering, dude. You know the offering? And I was like, I didn't pay a lot of attention in church, but I was like, oh, the offering. That is the part of the service, like all the adults pretend to, pretend to like look for their wallet. Oh, yeah, I just, uh, no, I'll get you next time. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I remember that. He goes, yeah, you got the change purse. And I remember that. 10%. I took that time and I was just like can I just make change and maybe take five, you know? And I, I, I dropped that in the offering. And I was like, I see how this works. It's another tax. Actually, that's how I came to see it in college as a tax. It was really after college, my first job. You remember your first job? And you get that paycheck. You know, if, you, if you, like, you're going to earn 1000 a week and you get that first paycheck and, and you assume, right, it's going to be $1,000. And you get that paycheck and you look at that thing and you're like, who is FICA? Who, who is she? Why is she doing this to me? All those initials and letters. And you don't get 100%. You're like, this is like 70% or something like that. And my first job was actually in Manhattan, but I lived in New Jersey. And I got the blessing of the commuter tax. So New Jersey state tax, New York state tax, New York city tax, and a special commuter tax, federal tax too. And I was like, 40, I get 60% of everything that I put on. And then I go to church and it's like, okay, make it 50. Wow. Welcome to church world. Tax. So you know what I started doing when I was an adult? I started tipping. By the end of that year, my first job, I started getting real savvy. 
and figuring out like the loopholes. For instance, I started to realize, well, if I give based on what is left over after like the government takes a bite, everyone else takes a bite, God, I'll give 10% of what's left. Plus, if I don't make it to church, if I'm traveling or I'm on vacation or something, you know, I'll catch up. (laughs) Right. And then it just kind of tapered off. And I started assuming all these expenses that come with adulthood, you know, everything. You guys know what happens, right? I remember that. My first apartment, got it. My new wardrobe, my, my first car payment, my furnishings. Oh, I got married, a wedding ring, a down payment, a new home, a new home. Goodbye. <laughs> and because I was stretched so thin, whenever I went to church, I would feel this like mild tinge of guilt. And so I'd drop in whatever spare cash like was left over because, I mean, it's bad form not to do anything. So I'm like, okay, you know, here, thanks. But it was a tip. Not, not a true, a leftover, not a first fruit. Get this? And it's funny what that approach does to your attitude. Think of that word, tip. Where do you typically leave a tip? At a restaurant, right? Something like that. See, when you consume something and you want to rate the quality of someone's service to you. And what happened was that sentiment started actually impacting my attitude towards even giving at church. So I, when I went to church, if the band rocked, and I felt, they played the songs I liked. And I felt particularly moved or generous. I was like, that was a good service. Three, four for you. Nice job, Banky. And if the preacher was funny and he kept it short, a little bit more. But if the service was boring and the music sucked, I was like, hey, man, you know, good luck next time. You see, suddenly the focus shifted. Where the tithe puts the focus actually on God and what he actually has given me, the tip puts the focus on me as a consumer of just religious goods and services. Well, what have you done for me lately? Needless to say, this is not what God is after here. God is not interested in exacting a tax. He does not, newsflash, he does not need your money. His church has gone on for thousands of years, whether the electric bill gets paid or not. It is the only thing that will outlast everything in eternity. God is in no need of a tip. He is not our servant. We serve him. And that's why he asks for a tithe. Because in the end, he's not after our money. He's after our hearts. So we surrender every part of your life to me, to my blessing. Because where your treasure is, where your M's M's are, your hearts are going to follow. And the question is, can God be trusted? Can you trust him? Could you trust him to lead you into a life of financial margin if you actually prioritized him first? See, what happened in the case of the Israelites is they eventually, they got out of the desert uh, and they actually started doing well. <laughs> Establishing themselves actually as a nation and as a military force in the Middle East to be reckoned with. In fact, the history of the entire New Testament is the record of their rise into prosperity and then their plunge into ruin. Now, how is this linked to money, you ask? Let me show you. Turn with me to the book of Malachi, okay? It's on page 665, or as we like to say in Jersey, Malachi, right? The Italian prophet. Malachi, 3710. Here's the deal. This is the last book in the Old Testament. Last book there. So if you reach Matthew, you've gone too far. But the background of Malachi is this. The Israelites, they did well for themselves. They rose to prominence. They became this affluent nation of military and economic dominance. And guess what? They forgot God. They actually began trusting in their own power and prosperity. And guess what? They were conquered. That's what the history of the the books are about. They were taken into captivity. They went back into bondage, into slavery again, into exile. And they had this severed relationship with God. And when Malachi ends, there's this 400 years 
of silence. Look at this. This is the end of the Old Testament. You see it, Malachi 3. And then there's this one page. See where it says New Testament? This one page separating New, Old Testament, New Testament. That, was four, that represents 400 years of silence where God's people didn't talk to God and God wasn't returning their phone calls until this obscure, poor, nomadic carpenter shows up in a backwater town of Nazareth where God says, I'm going to show you what I'm really like. End of the Old Testament, Malachi. Take a look at this because the Israelites, after they forsake God, at the end of the Old Testament here, God says, I'm going to give it one last effort. I'm going to reach back to them and attempt to repair this relationship. Now watch this. It says, return to me, God says, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? I mean, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. See, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Just stop right there. You see what's going on here? End of the Old Testament, Israelites are sunk back in bondage. And God's inviting these people who forgot them to return. Come back into relationship with me. Return to me. And they were like, I didn't realize we went away. How do we turn back? And he levies this kind of, it's uncomfortable, right? The stinging accusation against them. He's like, well, for starters, how about this? How about you stop robbing me? And, and they were like, what? Rob, what do we, I can't stick up God. These are strong words. How do we rob you? They stopped tithing. It was no longer a priority for them. First roots, whatever. Their hearts had forgotten God. And so naturally... Their wallet showed it. So your financial records always tell you precisely where your heart is. And God says, when you do that, I know you're keeping more for yourself, but you're actually robbing me. The Israelites had stopped their tithing. And God's like, you're shortchanging me. You're not bringing, actually, the 10%, the 20%. You remember this? The Israelites actually had three tithes, which told more than 23% of their gross income. So God says this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And that word storehouse is significant if you want to underline it or circle it in your Bible. That was literally, the storehouse was the place in the Jewish temple where they stored grain. And so in the Old Testament, God's people brought their tithe into the temple, the place where, where, where they were fed. So the modern day parallel here is bringing your tithe, your 10% to your local church, the place where you are fed. You get this? Whether that's liquid or another congregation, it's not about a, Whatever. And God says, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. The whole tithe, that is, give a percentage, a portion of your first fruits, not your leftovers. Bring your best anim and am, and this is important. It's not about the amount. It's about your attitude. Everyone of you is going to give something different. When God asks, what God asks of someone making 30 grand is actually the same as the guy making 300 grand, 10%. It's a percentage. The amount is going to differ then from person to person. But what's important is the attitude. Do you remember this in the, old, in the New Testament? Jesus actually, it says, Jesus actually went and sat next to the temple treasury and watched people putting in money. And he watched this widow, and do you remember this? And she put in how much? Two pennies, a couple of coins. Just dropped them in there. And Jesus said, that's it. That's the, she gave everything she had. That's what I'm talking about. It's about proportion, not amount. So if you have 10 M&Ms... You give one. If God's given you a thousand M&Ms, you give 10. If he's entrusted you with 10,000, you give a thousand back. If you've been blessed with a million, you get the idea. A hundred thousand back to the storehouse, to your church where you're fed. And this is hard 
Because nearly every study indicates that American Christians give on average between 2 and 3% of their income every year. In fact, the Barna Research Report say this. One-third of adults would say they're born again, would actually have a relationship with Jesus. Actually tithe in, 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 in 2000. They, they would say I tithe. But a comparison of their actual giving and their household incomes reveals that actually only an eighth did. In other words, our intentions sometimes outpace our actions. And so some folks will say, all right, you know what? I got it. I got it, dude. We'll take this gradually. We'll start with one, two, three, four, five percent. But you realize that's like saying in God's mind, you know, I, I used to rob six convenience stores a year. Um, but by this year, by God's grace, um, I'm only going to rob three. The point is not to rob God less. The point is to not rob God at all. Again, I don't know how you are hearing this, okay? Maybe it's your first time here and you're like, I knew it, dude. Or you're, or you're like, you brought a friend with you and they're like, what is this? Like, oh, and you're like, oh, disaster, right? Here comes that shameless appeal for money, the guilt trip. Every church does this. Here comes the sleight of hand. I've seen this on TV with that guy, you know, with the smile and the big suit, right? You know, I just want you to give back today to God. So all those blessings of health and wealth can be yours. I'm going to invite you to do something. I want you to plant a seed today and you'll get a parking space tomorrow. He can do that. Seriously, part of me feels so badly right now for you first time guests with us today. I apologize. We actually rarely talk about money because of how distorted it's been by the church. How manipulative some of our leaders have been. And I apologize to you for that. On behalf of my brothers and sisters, I am sorry. But just because something's been abused or distorted by men, it doesn't mean it fails to be God's truth, does it? And the truth is, you don't need to give back to God because God needs your money. You need to tithe because your heart needs recovery, rescue, to break the grip of greed in your life and reestablish trust in God. See, as you give a proportional percentage, you will be consumed with a new question. Well, if I actually give this to God, prioritize his desires above my own, can he actually be counted on to provide enough for me? Will God actually remember me? Will he, my father, actually lead me back into a life of margin? And do you know what God's answer is to this question? Two words. Test me. Test me. Listen to this challenge in verse 10. It's incredible. Test me in this says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Translation, bring it on. (laughs) Folks, the significance of this challenge in Malachi cannot be underestimated. This is the only place in the entirety of all of scripture where God invites us to test him. In fact, one of the critical cardinal commands of Scripture is, right, thou shalt not put the Lord your God to the test. And yet God says, when it comes to the area of tithing and financial firstfruits, test me. The Hebrew here is actually a word called bahan, and it means to probe or examine, probe the heart of something, see if it's genuine. And God says, test me this way with your stuff, with your tithe. Bring the whole tithe and see what I'll do. Test my goodness. See if I, see if I can't be trusted to lead you into a life of financial margin when you put me first. And this is huge, folks. Because we think tithing is a test of our generosity, and it's not. At the heart of the matter, 
Tithing is actually a test of God's generosity towards us. It begins with our obedience, but it results in his blessing. See, there's a promise here. God says, first return to me a portion of what I've entrusted you back to my kingdom and then get ready because when you align this area of your life with my purposes, I am going to bless your socks off. Test me in this. You begin acting more like me, giving generously to everyone who has need, putting my kingdom first, my church, others in need ahead of yourself. You wait and see. I will open the floodgates of heaven, pouring out so much blessing into your life that you won't even know what to do with it. See, tithing is a test, not just of your heart, but of God's faithfulness to you. You be faithful to me financially, God says, and you think I'm going to leave you high and dry? Hardly. Give priority, give proportionally, and see what happens. This is huge, folks. This is an incredible promise that God is making. When we bring our full tithe with open hands to him, God says he opens his hands extra wide to us. I'm actually going to pour a little bit into your life. Wow, thanks, God. You're blessing me. Yeah, I know. I'm going to bless you. You are a generous God. No, I'm serious. I'm going to bless you. No, I'm going to bless. No, I'm really going to bless. No, that's no, I think I have it. I think I have it. Well, will you have any left? You think? You don't get this. He's like, if you're worried about not having enough, that's possible. You may lack room and capacity to contain all that I intend to bring you. This is a fundamentally different way of looking at life, folks. Not walking through life, crutching our, clutching our little bag of M&Ms, all myself, whatever, do I have another Clutching and consuming, but actually walking through life with open hands because money has released its grip on you. And you're actually free. Free from hoarding, free to actually see others' needs, not just what they have now, what I don't, but actually see what they don't have and say, how can I give? And share what you've been given by God to others because you know your father can be counted on to make good on his promise to provide enough, more than enough. God has riches and abundance, both material as well as spiritual, that you know not of. I want to ask you a question. What would it be like if you were to take him at his word this fall? What would that lifestyle look like if Malachi 3 were actually true? Test me in this. Test me in this and see. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. The secret of holy margin is that God promises to generously provide for those who are generous towards him. And that may mean financially. Jesus actually teaches that his father entrusts those who are generous in this life with with even more. Or it may be blessing us emotionally or spiritually with dividends of joy, peace, contentment that we've previously never known. But this is a powerful promise, folks, in Malachi. It's not the prosperity gospel. You've got to understand something. This is not quid pro quo, where you give to get something in return, right? This is where scripture can be abused and distorted, right? Where you see the televangelist promise, if you just call in and play, 1995, God's going to bless your socks off. No, 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 no. Any, see, any gospel, it, it dishon- the health and wealth gospel dishonors Christ because any gospel that is more true in America than in China is not the true gospel. Prosperity theology is built on a half-truth. God does prosper givers materially. 
but he won't let us treat him like he's a slot machine or cosmic genie just to do our bidding. Giving, it's a sacrifice. You know what? Sometimes you feel that sacrifice. It's not health and wealth in Malachi. This is cause and effect of living in obedience to God's command for financial margin. See, when you disobey God's instructions, God says your life is cursed. You see this? By, look at this. In verse 9, it says, you're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. In other words, God's like, if you cut me out of your finances, how am I supposed to bless you? You've shortchanged the owner, and you've shut me out of that part of your life, and now it's shriveled, and it's cursed, and it's withered. It's no wonder you don't have enough. It's no wonder you make poor decisions. It's no wonder you feel constantly burdened. You cut me out. But if you invite me in, you can reverse the curse and expect actually a blessing. It says, bring the whole tithe and see. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll not have room enough to actually contain it all. Imagine actually needing less, wanting less. So the real challenge facing each of us is this. Would you rather live on 90% of your income with God's blessing or keep 100% from yourself and live with a curse? That's literally the, the decision that Malachi challenges the Israelites with. Test me, says God. This is your chance to see if I can be trusted to lead you into a life of lasting financial margin. It's a direct challenge to each of us this fall. Regardless of your situation, we are all at different points in this room. So maybe this, maybe this fall you're like, I, my goal when I heard about this margin series, I was like, this is the fall I finally get out of debt. How do you start getting out of debt? Start bringing the whole tithe. I know it's a counterintuitive truth. What, that's going to sink me. I don't, I, the point is I'm in debt. I can't have any more gift. Exactly. But do you want to bring God's blessing to that process? Or maybe you're like, I want to start finally actually saving this year. Here's how you begin saving. You start giving. Bring the whole tithe. You want to break that consumerist appetite that has you constantly on the spend because you're like, that's me. Bigger, better, faster, more. I can't resist it. How do you do that? You begin fasting. Why? Not because God needs your money. But because in tithing, you invite the owner's blessing. You literally take him at his word and test his character. See if he won't prove true on his promise to you and lead you into a lifestyle financial margin where you'll not have just enough, but imagine having more than you need. Today, we are going to do something that we have never done in the history of our church's life. We are going, and some of you are like, okay, I'm keeping, <laughs> you're hiding your M&Ms. <laughs> With Thanksgiving, this Thursday, yes? Yeah, Thanksgiving. Thanks for giving, God. Today, this morning, we are going to invite our entire congregation here at Liquid or listening, you're watching online, to do something daring, something dangerous, to actually test God. I just feel like, that was an inspiring sermon. Test them. And bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and tithe a full 10% next Sunday right here at Liquid. Even if you've never done it before, we're going to invite you to take a step of faith to this fall. And this may be scary. Maybe you're in debt and you see the holidays coming. You're like, and now this? I mean, how, how, how are you going to afford this? Wrong question. What might God do if you tested him? Or maybe you're a young couple. You're getting married. You're starting a family. And you're like, well, we're already worried how we're going to make ends meet and all this work, find a house, start a save. What, are we, what, what would we have to forego to tithe? Wrong question. What might God do if you prioritized him first in your finances from the outset of things, what might he do? Or maybe you're already, you're already tithing, sort of. You're more like the tipping is the word for it. You drop some in the bucket from time to time. When the spirit moves here, you got it on you. 
or remember your checkbook, what would it be like to actually tithe your first fruits for the first time next Sunday? Could there be a better way to give thanks to God for all he has given us than by giving back to him? What might God do in your life? Many of you are already tithing. Some 10%, some more. That is awesome. But next week, here's what we're asking. We want everyone who is fed here at Liquid to actually take God at his word and bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Accept his invitation to test him in this and take him up on his challenge. Now, here's what that means practically. On your way in today, you received this little envelope with the M&Ms. It's a regular giving envelope, but you notice this one has like a little red sticker on it. You see that? What's it say? Test me. Bring it. And the idea here is for each of us to bring this back next week or mail it in if you're not with us, whatever, with the full tithe, with a portion of what God entrusts you on a weekly basis. Now, here's the deal. This is where it would get confusing for me because I'm an English guy. I don't like math. If you're bad with the math, this is actually quite simple. What you would simply do is take your gross income, that is what you earn every year, most of you know that, before taxes, and divide it by 52 weeks, right? That equals your weekly income. And then just divide that by 10, 10%. And give a full week's tithe of 10% at our Thanksgiving service next Sunday. And then we're going to do something amazing as a church. We're going to tithe together. I'm not going to tell you about that until next week. But you're going to use it. You may. Your invitation. No compulsion here. Use the envelope you received on the way in. Bring it with you next week. Even if you're traveling or away for the holidays, whatever, you, you can mail it in. It's, it's postage paid. We're going to save you the 39 cents or whatever. Or you can give online. For those of you online, we want you to invite you to participate as well. You can give electronically. You know that through liquidchurch.com. But it's not about a church. It's about your heart. If you want to give that to another church, great. Go for it. Go for it. Go give where you're fed. Knock some socks off some other pastor who isn't even like expecting it. Here, this is for you. What? Wait a minute. Bless them. Here's the idea. This is a one-time challenge for Thanksgiving. You are not locked in. If nothing else, you will experience what it's like to take God at his word and actually test him. And you might be surprised at what you'll discover. A sense of peace. The consumer spell gets broken. The holidays hit, but you actually don't feel the pressure to overspend and take it to the max and consume everything. Maybe it'll be your biggest gift this Christmas. You actually don't go into debt for 2008. Or maybe this is the start of something even more. When I, as I said, when we prioritize God in our finances, sometimes he blesses us materially. Oftentimes it's more spiritual in nature. Real personal level. Colleen and I, when we got married, we started tipping. <laughs> and then we moved to tithing, giving 10%. And even though we gave 10%, um, we were very lax about our finances. We were the couple living at 110, 120%. We had no idea where any of it was, where any of it went, and just flowed in. And Two salaries. She worked in Manhattan. I was working. Two salaries. We had no business being in debt. But we had all of these balances on our credit cards. And when we added them up, a thou here, a thou there, we were in serious debt. And there was a time when I first started looking into this concept of first fruits giving, I realized that we were tithing on our net, not our gross. Everyone else got the first bite. We paid Citibank, MasterCard, but I'm like robbing God. And so I was like, well, let's, let's try it. You want to do it? And she's just like, yeah. I mean, is it like that much of a difference? I was like, I don't know, net or gross. I, I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe 20 bucks or something. <laughs> So we tried it, you know, we're like, I shouldn't feel it. Oh, man, did we feel it. It made a huge difference. We actually had to cut back in certain areas. We'd never even given thought to like, how much you actually spend on lunch every week? And I'm like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. 
And that year, we tithed on both our incomes a full 20% gross of our salaries. And to this day, we still have no idea how this happened. We have no logistics or numbers to explain this. But that was the year in our marriage that we got out of debt for the first time. God's honest truth. It's incredible. To this day, we're still not sure how or why. Neither of our incomes changed. They didn't go up. Our taxes didn't go down. Our taxes didn't change. In fact, the only thing that changed was that we actually started tithing on our gross and we actually started saving as well. So we're like, what changed? I know. Our hearts, our attitude. Because through tithing, God broke our prodigal appetites for spending, our appetite for more, more, me first, me first, me first, and prioritize our hearts. And you know what else changed? This is what's most incredible. Our marriage. Let me tell you. I cannot tell you what being on the same page financially does for a relationship. When you're both committed to managing your money God's way, the tension and the friction and the conflict just gets drained from your relationship. I can testify to the power of God's promise. Bring the whole tithe into the stars and see if I won't pour out blessings. I don't know what was more blessed, honestly, finally getting out of debt or draining our marriage of the weight and burden of marginless living. So this is a Thanksgiving challenge to every person in this room, every person listening on, our entire church family. Could you trust God enough to bring the whole tithe this fall? Just to see what he'd do in your life. Beginning with next week's paycheck. One M and M. Too much? You think God would come through and make good on his promise? Could he be trusted to do it? The question is this, folks. I want everyone now to take out their M and M. Take it out. I don't know what that is for you. What has he put in your hand? What does God put in your hand? See the M on there? Let it stand for Malachi. Could you trust him with this? Could you put this in your pocket? I know it's chocolate, but just put it in your pocket. And not eat it the whole week. See if you can stand that. (laughs) Some of you are like, I'm already ruined. Everything you have is his. The question is, will you acknowledge that reality, not just with your words, but with your wallet? Will you trust them to provide for Thanksgiving and lead you into a life of holy margin? I hope you will. I'm in. Our entire staff is in. We're all going to be doing this. And I hope you will join us next Sunday. We can't wait to see what God is going to do through every one of us. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the counterintuitive truth that saving begins with giving. That salvation came from an act of giving for God's love of the world that he gave his only son for us. And that we're your children and we're invited to imitate our father to give. Lord, let this be the year that you bring new freedom into the lives of your people here, God. I thank you for what you've done in Colleen's life and my life, Lord. We got a long way to go, but you started, you jump-started us. Thank you for being faithful, Lord. It had nothing to do with us, but everything to do with your goodness. You're proving yourself true. Thank you for the invitation now to test your character and know you in a new way, Lord. I pray for anybody who is hearing this in any sort of guilty or shameful or manipulative way, Lord. Just blow away any of that cynicism, Lord. Let them feel no compulsion, Lord, because we know you love a cheerful giver. So change your hearts, Lord. Make it about our attitude, not the amount. And we ask that you would use it to expand your kingdom in this world. In Jesus' name, all God's people said,